Democrats in Congress are working on a bill to reform military justice. But really, can the military be made safe for women? I'm Bert Cohen, and with your help, we are keeping democracy alive. What's going on? He's not breathing. Can you get a pulse? Barely. Call a code. Get Nambia back from the nurse's station. Heart's still working, means synapses is still firing. We just need to get a message through. Prosperity for Central America is based on an economic model on foreign investment and foreign profit, on the rights of U.S. corporations to extract from the land of Central America and exploit the people of Central America. There's not going to be a war by Russia to conquer the United States. There's not going to be a war by China to conquer the United States. No country is going to conquer the United States. The United States is destroying itself because of the size of its military. So yes, there's a huge gap between public opinion and public policy and uh, that people don't feel that they can do very much. I speak tonight for the dig- dignity of man. The military of any country is not about playing nice. It's about overpowering. And as with domestic police forces, physical dominance and control is what they do. There's a chain of command, and one doesn't dare break that. Going along to get along is an unquestioned necessity. Military success is measured in overpowering the enemy. And the role of a separate and distinct military justice system has not been questioned until very recently. They're like a disconnected island. They have their rules and ways of doing things which are not answerable to any other, especially not civilian oversight. But that system has allowed sexual assault to flourish at pandemic levels decade after decade. Today, Democrats in Congress find themselves in the midst of a high-profile fight over how to reform the military justice system. And who knows if meaningful reform is even possible. All this in the wake of the murder of 20-year-old Private First Class Vanessa Guillen in 2020. What kind of justice is there in the military? Should they be answerable to the civilian system of justice? Is significant reform required or just tweaking the system be enough? Our guest today is Andrea Mazzarino, who has written an essay about what has been called the pandemic of sexual assault in the military on Tom Dispatch. Her essay is titled Changing the Way the Military Handles Sexual Assault or How Not to Leave the Fox Guarding the Hen House. Andrea Mazzarino, thanks so much for being back with us on Keeping Democracy Alive. Thanks for having me, Bert. Andrea Mazzarino co-founded Brown University's Costs of War Project. She's held various clinical research and advocacy positions along, including at a Veterans Affairs PTSD outpatient clinic with Human Rights Watch and at a community mental health agency. She's the co-author of War and Health, The Medical Consequences of the Wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. And she's a military spouse. Well, again, thanks for being with us. And from the dawn of recorded history, humans have been making war And rape has been part of it. History is jam-packed with stories of how what happens to men as compared to what happens to women in conquered lands is different. So let's start there. In what ways is the treatment of women different from how vanquished men are treated by the victors? I think from the beginning of time, rape has been used as a weapon of war, especially against women and girls. Boys and men are affected as well, but history shows us that 
the way that women and girls are treated, um, including women and girls of the vanquished armed forces, um, is vastly different. They are sexualized. Um, look at Bosnia, um, look at Rwanda, and then look at the way members of our own military uh, treat one another, treat their female, their female fellow soldiers. Uh, that's yeah, that's an interesting point. It's, and I think of other wars as well, certainly in Vietnam and the First World War. It goes on and on. Men yes. being treated differently from women. Women, women as property, I suppose, is the old traditional mindset somehow that I think is changing a bit slowly. But since it became law in 1863 under President Lincoln, the Lieber Code has been in effect. What actions is that supposed to prevent relative to military forces in conquered lands? And how effective has it been in wartime? It hasn't. It, it's supposed to pre prevent abuses of civilians, including um, abuses against um, members of our armed forces um, by their fellow soldiers. So not just abuses of, of civilians, but abuses of military power. And it hasn't been effective because we don't have a separate justice system. Um, in order to deal with um, oversteps in power. Until fairly recently, women were prohibited from serving in combat. I wonder if some of the reasoning behind that opposition to women serving is because the higher-ups know their men and their attitudes and behavior. And as you say, as more women have joined the country's armed forces, they've increasingly fallen victim to their male comrades. Could this be this expected behavior have been a reason for the prohibition? Sure. I mean, since those bans were put into effect, I mean, commanders have cited the potential for sexual violence as the reason for barring women um, from combat and especially from close them sharing close quarters um, with their male colleagues. Uh, interesting, and I, I, it makes me think about uh, the resistance that was there, and no doubt is still there with a lot of uh, people in the military, to having gay men serve with straight men, the nervousness about being exactly. in a foxhole or whatever. But but what what about that? What's the, what's the reality of that? You know, if there's a combat situation, doesn't that, you know, kind of erratically change the dynamic of, of how people are getting along if they're you know, all together under threat? It should, but in practice, if there's no meaningful concerted effort in order to change the way women are viewed, not just within the armed forces, but within the society mm. that from which the armed forces are recruited, then in practice, women are more likely to fall under attack um, by members of their platoons and units than they are to be physically attacked by the enemy in combat. Wow. That, that, that's sort of a hard picture to accept. But, but just to, to hear that again, so that women are, or at least feel they're more in danger of people in their own uh, company than from uh, an enemy. Is that right? Yes. God. The statistics bear that out. Whew, something's got to change there. My goodness. Yeah. And as we mentioned just briefly, you know, not only homosexuals, but black men were also discriminated against for a very long time. And now 
black men and homosexual of all you know uh, ethnic backgrounds are part of the American military. I've always pictured the military being very top-down. Orders, of course, have to be followed. Uh, you know, military uh, uh, strategy uh, requires that, and that heterosexual white Christian men have long had unquestioned dominance, not just in the military, but in general in America. I suspect overt racism is very rare, but I, I, I wonder how bad is sexual harassment or outright misconduct against gay and or women service members? How bad is it? Well, it's really hard to know, Bert, because the military has not been transparent in the incidence of sexual harassment and assault, um, especially sexual harassment. In many cases, um, reports that are brought to bear um, within units, within commands are just crushed um, by commanders before they are even brought to trial. And then even when they are brought to trial, um, they're not always reported on outside of military basis. However, I would say that speaking from my limited personal experience as a spouse and as a therapist who has worked within these populations, every single woman that I've spoken to um, who has served or, or who has been a part of a military community as a spouse can cite examples in which their gender um, has been raised as an issue, you know, reflecting on their capacity to think clearly, to serve competently, or they've been simply hit upon, hit on by um, the leadership. It makes me think of uh, something that's going on now in the uh, National Football League, how they had less compensation for black men who had head injuries than for white men because they assumed that black men had less to start with, which just boggles my mind. Exactly. So this has been going on for a long time, you know, under the radar for sure. But the problem had a sudden national spotlight shined on it with the case of Vanessa Guillen. Refresh our memories, please. What happened to her? Where did it happen? And are there questions about how it was let to happen? Well, it happened on a base in Texas. Her body was found uh, dismembered after she had made two separate reports of sexual harassment by higher ups. Um, the case was actually never brought to military trial. Um, and she was the suspect in her murder was um, not anybody that she had actually accused of uh, of harassing her, but the the timing was such that it raised the case raised questions um, as to whether or not this was sparked as a form of retaliation against her reports and. Um, Military commanders um, could have acted far faster in order to investigate her claims rather than covering them up. Wow. Talk about a, a, a separate uh, island of, of system of justice. Uh, that's, that's rather incredible. And 
How is it that it that it came to light then? I mean, it sounds like, if I hear you right, that her reports were ignored, that it may have been retaliation for her making reports. Uh, how, did, how did that uh, come to light then? Well, the, um, the only report on her murder um, afterwards, I concluded that none of her, her supervisors had taken any appropriate reaction action in response to her allegations um, and, and her alleged killers. Um, it was found, in, among them was a soldier who himself had been accused of sexual harassment um, in, a, in, a, in a totally separate case. So was it the military justice system itself which enabled the, uh, the crime to be uh, revealed and, and opened up? Or was it uh, some, you know, journalists or, or a private uh, civilian uh, uh, attempt to get at it? The murder sparked real public outrage, including among women across the armed forces who, who quickly, you know, coined the Twitter hashtag, I am Vanessa Dillon. Um, and they began to go public um, on social media, um, in, in interviews, with their own unrelated accounts of being assaulted mm. um, in the military. Um, and the Gillen case ended up being, you know, a major catalyst in um, the Senate bill um, uh-huh. to create. Yeah. So that's how it came to light. For those who may have just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. The show is Keeping Democracy Alive. And we're talking with Andrea Mazzarino about her essay titled Changing the Way the Military Handles Sexual Assault or how not to leave the fox guarding the hen house. Boy, there's been a lot of history of the foxes guarding the hen house. Well, as you mentioned, there is at least one new bill in the wake of this crime, this murder of Vanessa Guillen. I, I guess I'm pronouncing that incorrectly. Uh, one is sponsored by Democrat Kristen Gillibrand of New York and Republican Joni Erst of Iowa, one liberal, one kind of right-winger. In what ways does it address what you call an antiquated practice of allowing commanders to decide whether to prosecute their own officers and soldiers on their sexual assault allegations rather than having them dealt with through our criminal justice system? End of your quote. In what ways has the prosecution of such crimes been, as you describe it, in a separate reality from the rest of society? How would this legislation work? What would it do, do you think? Well, it's actually a fairly timid legislation. It would create a, a team of specially trained prosecutors whose job would be to investigate allegations of sexual assault within the military and decide whether they should be tried at all. Um, in other words, currently about a third of reports within commands are killed before they even see the light of day in even a military trial. But the legislation would allow for a special team of prosecutors to examine um, reports of sexual assault um, and, and decide, you know, whether they should be tried rather than leaving the decision as to whether to bring them to trial solely um, to commanders. Right. The fox is guarding the henhouse, in other words. It might not be. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, they, what, I can imagine uh, the difficult situation 
that some of the uh, men on top might feel in uh, presenting this and, you know, how it might reflect badly on them and how that might be a motivation to uh, to kind of cover it up. I, I wonder how pervasive that kind of uh, dynamic has been. Of, of, of commanders covering it up? Yeah. Well, I mean, we know that about, in about a third of cases are quashed, but as to whether there's some sort of cover-up, in other words... That goes to a different level. Yeah, I can see your point. You know, just uh, not dealing with it is is a way to uh, to handle it. Right, but manipulation, threats. I mean, that you know, that's something we don't know about mm. um, because because bases are closed off. I mean, we don't we we don't allow people who are not in the military who don't have special passes to go in and talk to people on a regular basis about what goes on there. Um so and this this hasn't always been the case. Um but at the same time like we know very little about the kinds of workings um uh, within units within commands that would allow commanders to threaten people from 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 making reports. Mm. Kind of a separate system of justice, and I, I wonder, it makes me think about uh, so-called correctional facilities, too, what kind of justice goes on in there and where the power really is there. And, and you know, the military is not a jail, but it is closed off to uh, the public. There's no public scrutiny. Uh, though if you called the Gillibrand Ernst Bill timid, Republican Jack Reed of Nevada, who's chair of the Senate Armed Services Committee, uh, has other ideas. What are his objections? What alternative way of dealing with the problem of military justice is he pushing? I think Senator Reid is pushing more of the status quo of the military dealing with, you know, dealing with its own system of, of justice in much the same way it always has through court martials um, within commands in which senators, uh, I mean, in which commanders and enlisted um, soldiers, um, service members continue to decide military sexual assault within their own ranks. Yeah, that's worked so well. <laughs> so Senator Reid has adjusted his position, I guess, in light of uh, new information, which is it's nice to see a politician uh, change his or her position after he or she gets more information. Tell us about uh, Senator Reid. Well, Senator Reid, uh, before um, it was May 23rd, supported the traditional system of military justice, but recently came around to supporting Gillibrand's and Ernst's bill um, and favors an overhaul, or at least a partial overhaul, of the way that the military handles sexual assault. He would like, um, he's, he voiced his support for the bill and would like for the team of specially trained prosecutors to be able to decide whether to try cases in the first place. Every little step matters. That's a big one, though. It is a big one. Yeah. I wonder, uh, is there any sense of where, I mean, the, the, the Senate has often been called uh, a place where good bills go to die. Any sense of how it's proceeding there? Within the Senate? Yeah. Well, the bill has, uh, it looks like it's going to have enough votes to pass. Um, yay. Yeah. But, but we'll see, uh, we'll see what happens between now and the vote. 
That is for sure. All kinds of things get uh, added to things uh, in, in, in the uh, making of sausages and the making of laws that we don't necessarily want to know about. <laughs> I understand Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin is nearing a decision on military sexual assault reform on his own. What, what is known about this alternative? I'm real curious. General Lloyd Austin is um, creating bodies within the Pentagon that would make it easier for um, members of the armed forces to report sexual assault anonymously um, beyond Uh the separate branches. So they would be able to call in and make anonymous reports um, that would be investigated um, by a separate body that's Uh semi-independent. Um, they are also um, looking, the Pentagon is also looking at um, a comprehensive audit um, of the way statistics on military sexual assault are collected um, so that there would be more accurate reports on how widespread the phenomenon is on, a, on an annual basis. So it seems like uh, he's on it. He, he may, is it? I mean, we've had the, the secretaries of defense in the past, you know, like uh, their fealty for sure, you know, and their uh, their control over this big system and like to keep it as it is. So this sounds a bit different and a bit more hopeful that he, he actually gets it, that Biden's choices, like many choices, uh, perhaps a good one. Here's hoping. Here's hoping that it's not just a token action that doesn't lead uh-huh. to abusive soldiers and abusive commanders getting a slap on the hand. Mm. We we want them to be dismissed if they, if they treat um, their fellow soldiers in a way that is um, that is inhumane and, and violent. I wonder how given that I mean the idea of a of a military is to conquer and dominate and control, and that's been largely, you know, white men doing that for rather quite a long time. I wonder if this mindset, you know, is is something that I mean, out here in the civilian world, rape and murder is is not okay. You know, it's just a general understanding, and sexual harassment is not okay. I, I wonder how much this call for significant change in attitude, I wonder how effectively it can be addressed through reform within the military justice system. Your thoughts on that, Andrea? So um, how effectively can military assault be addressed within um, the military yeah, give, justice system is what you asked. Yeah, given given the long history and and basic what seems essence of a military is, you know, command and control. You know, it, it, that's sort of an attitude that's been there for a very long time, and it seems very basic to the military itself. So within that structure, does that not, perhaps, could that not be seen as as weakening the structure? I'm just trying to think of objections to it that uh, would make it more difficult and how it, it might be part of the uh, long-term military mindset that is rather difficult to change, even through laws. I mean, for example, you know, slavery was made illegal by federal law in the 1860s, but it continued 
for a really long time. Because right. changing laws is one thing, but changing attitudes is something else entirely. Your thoughts? Well, I agree that the military operates through command and control. To some extent, that's necessary. But when dealing with issues of human relationships, I think that there needs to be a separate justice system for anything having to do with commanding and controlling other people uh, with, you know, among colleagues, within families. I don't understand why we don't just have a separate justice, why military cases aren't simply tried within the civilian justice system. Wow, interesting. I wonder if you were to, you know, take a poll of people in general in the military, you know, if their answers were secure. How they would feel about that. Yeah. Your, your thoughts? I don't know. I have not spoken with anybody about that particular idea. So you were saying about uh, women soldiers? Yeah, I think that more female soldiers than male soldiers would likely support trying cases of sexual assault within the regular civilian justice system. But that's just conjecture. I'm not sure. I would need to speak to people about that. Yeah, I wonder. Well, big... You know, cultural change, and I think I think we're talking about a cultural change here. It doesn't come easy. Once I think once cultural change happens, it happens, but it takes a long time. And the military culture has been what it is, you know, for a really long time. So for those who may have just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. The show is keeping democracy alive, and we're speaking about uh, changing the way the military handles sexual assault or how not to leave the fox guarding the hen house as it has done for so long. Our guest today is uh, Andrea Mazzarino, who's written an essay on uh, what's been called a pandemic of sexual assault in the military. So what are your feelings about the current procedures for infractions, quote, for non-judicial punishments in which a commanding officer, rather than a court-martial judge, and a panel of other personnel, which is functionally a jury, as you say, determines what penalties are to be imposed on a service member accused of a crime. End of quote. Does that process, unique to the military, at least somewhat adequately serve justice? Does it unreasonably enable, you know, shoving aside sexual assaults? If so, how big a problem is that? What are your feelings about the current procedures for infractions, quote, for non-judicial punishments in which a commanding officer rather than a court-martial judge and a panel of other personnel which is like a jury determines what penalties are to be imposed on a service member accused of a crime end of quote does that process which is so unique to the military does it serve justice adequately is there too much leeway there and too much uh, uh you know leaving it up to the individuals or is there you know, a standard, does it unreasonably enable covering up, maybe that's not the best word, but sort of dismissing charges of sexual assault? And if so, how big a problem is that? The the idea of a commanding officer rather than a court-martial judge in a panel determining what happens. Well, as the title of my essay suggests, it's essentially the fox guarding the hen house, military commanders quash about a third of all reported cases of sexual assault, meaning that they don't even bring it to a military trial. But to the extent that commanders often contribute 
to a culture of violence against women through sexist jokes, through their own participation in harassment. Um, I think that it's crazy. It's foolish to expect them to handle this issue in any kind of responsible, objective manner. That seems pretty clear. In civilian society, many victims, and we all know this, of sexual assault have been reluctant to come forward. This is just in civilian society to press charges for many, many reasons. The civilian court system is difficult enough to navigate, and it's it's kind of right. uh, intimidating, really. About what percent of reported cases uh, are reported in the military, and what and further, what dangerous power do commanding officers get to exercise? Could it be that some cases can now be dealt with, with, dare I say, a wink and a nod? What internal political realities may affect commanding officers' actions or lack thereof? Well, um, it, it definitely can be dealt with through a wink and a nod, um, because essentially many are not dealt with, but... Internal political factors include a desire for commanders to cover up for their most talented, you know, tactically, strategically talented um, service members who they want to keep on board, um, who they want to see promoted, um, or whose whose behavior they want to cover up um, because they have acted similarly. Oh, great! <laughs> they have acted similarly. I wonder, you know, and you say about a third have been uh, covered up, I guess, or or dismissed. But uh, I wonder how often it goes on. And, and, you know, being an island and outside of the system of justice, boy, I'll tell you, as a civilian, I'm glad there's a, 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 you know, a big net for uh, justice and for, for prosecution. There's a lot of problems with it now. I mean, look at the jails, the mass incarceration. It's not, there's not a lot of fairness in our civilian uh, military system. You raised the concern about uh, possibly that there could be uh, allegations, charges even, that somebody toward the top may have been guilty of himself. So that's a significant disincentive to uh, <laughs> carrying out uh, uh, you know, justice. And uh, that, that wouldn't exist if it were taken outside the uh, the military. But I wonder how nervous that would make some of the commanders on top. <laughs> what do you think about that? I mean, you know. Well, I think it would make them very nervous uh, because many commanders themselves are complicit in creating a culture of sexual harassment in their own commands. You know, we had one commander um, for whom my, my husband served who, who urged women in, uh, in the commands to take birth control pills uh, because he didn't want them to get pregnant and have to um, leave the command as a result. So and he was always emphasizing their potential, the potential for their sexuality to become a hindrance to their ability to serve. Um, he would use phrases such as, you know, I'm going to rip you another asshole if, you know, somebody, um, if somebody incompetently carried out their duties or, you know, didn't follow commands appropriately. He was constantly bringing up violent, sexist, homophobic imagery in his role as a leader. 
So it wouldn't surprise me if somebody like that um, had a vested interest in covering up accusations of sexual assault because he indeed was part of creating this culture of denigration. Hmm. Uh, it makes me think about, again, the civilian system of, of justice, and I use that term uh, advisedly, where when it comes to rape, so many women are told, even by judges, basically, it's your fault. Don't wear such a short skirt. Don't look so pretty. Right. Uh, <laughs> it, it amazes me, you know, and I can imagine, all right, that's bad enough in the civilian system. Uh, it sounds like you're describing there that it's putting the responsibility on the women, which is, I mean, they're already uh, overpowered uh, and, uh, you know, under a very difficult uh, situation of, of the, again, the chain of command. And to, to put the blame on women, wow, that's got to change. I wonder if, if that is, uh, I mean, you talk about the Gillibrand Erst bill as being timid. Is that part of that bill that... You know, the men have to take some responsibility and not put all the blame on women, or is that sort of outside those possibilities of that bill? I think that's way outside yeah. the possibilities of that bill. The bill is very narrowly conceived. Um, it's probably why it's it's gaining such broad bipartisan support. I mean, Ted Cruz supports it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, I, I was going to ask about that. I mean, it's understandable. Elizabeth Warren supports a bill. But Ted Cruz, what the heck? What is what might his what is motivation? I, I certainly doubt that it's blind justice and caring about uh, you know actual justice being done. What, what do you make of Ted Cruz supporting the bill? I don't know. I mean, he's had so many scandals recently, like with the Texas power outage, going away on vacation, um, uh-huh. you know, covering up, uh, you know, jumping on the bandwagon, you know with this whole stop the steal thing, I, I think he probably needs a moment in the spotlight supporting something, uh, so something that is ethical and um, that, that already has a good amount of bipartisan su- support. Um, I can't, I don't know what's, what's inside his mind, but, <laughs> but I, that was a surprising one for me. My goodness. Yes. He, I, not one of my favorite people. Uh, and, you know, as we've mentioned, a chain of command, discipline and adhering to a chain of command is always crucial to military operations. Lord knows we've seen things uh, mess up. Huh. I, I recently watched a film about uh, Gallipoli when uh, orders were carried out, and uh, it was an unbelievable disaster for tens of thousands of of men back then. But you have to, I mean, adhering to a chain of command is crucial. I, I wonder if... Some people in the military and and others could say that these suggested reforms will adversely affect that necessary capability. That they would get in the way of their necessary capabilities. Yeah, that that it would get it that it would mess up the chain of command and that would interfere with that adversely. I think the argument goes that military commanders have total control because the the military is a total institution, right? Like unless commanders have the ability to dictate the behaviors, the attitudes of everyone within the command, including military families, then it's going to be hard to respond effectively to foreign threats 
but I don't think that we question that control in any kind of logical way when it comes to matters that are totally separate from it, like sexual assault, like the willingness of families to participate in the, the readiness of commands and units. I think that that total control is more of an assumption than, you know, something that is strategically necessary. And it's time that we, we stop blindly adhering to it. Well, can the military function if, I mean, there's, there's no democracy in the military. I don't think there really can be, although there have been situations. I think, uh, I'm not sure which war it was that, that soldiers in the Netherlands uh, uh, were able to participate in decision-making. But isn't that sort of a, a real uh, challenge to uh, military tradition to, to make it, to, to adjust the uh, command and control attitudes? Can it be separated out? I imagine it could be separated out that when it comes to, you know, crimes against your fellow uh, soldiers and, and, and military people. But what are your thoughts on that? Can, can that be done without the military seeing that as a threat? Uh, I don't know that it can. Um, I personally do not see it as a threat to the way the military operates tactically to have crimes um, that have nothing to do with military strategy prosecuted in the regular civilian court system. I do not see those, those imperatives as, as contradictory at all. Can a more bold bill um, uh -huh. than Ernst and Gillibrand's pass right now? Probably not. Because just because of the very same resistance that you have described um, to challenging uh, that command and control culture. So as as you've said that the the Gillibrand Ernst bill is timid. If you were a senator, which I think would be a fine idea, um, how what what would you how would what kind of bill would you like to see? What would be better? And you know, there's the, the question of well, what could actually pass versus the ideal I just spilled some water huh. um, let me just see eight. Huh. Uh, what what would be a better bill than that do you think that might be realistic and you know there's there was an old uh, French bit of graffiti from the student uprising in 1968 that says be realistic demand the impossible so that you go back from there well, anyway, what, what are your thoughts about what would be a better bill? And what are the problems with the Gillibrand-Ernst bill? Do you think it, it could make a difference and, and be something that really is a significant step forward? I think it absolutely could make a difference. I think it's a step in the right direction. I'd rather have that bill than no bill. Um, but in order to strengthen it, I think what we could use is more detail on how exactly the separate prosecutors who decide whether to try military sexual assault cases are to be trained. I mean, for example, for some time within the Navy, uh, sailors have had to attend mandatory trainings on sensitivity towards issues such as accepting transgender service members. But that tends to be a very limited 
you know, several hour training on mm-hmm. a Saturday that just introduces them to some new terminology and provides some general guidelines on how to embrace di- diversity among um, among those in their ranks who are who identify as transgender. There needs to be a lot more than just a Saturday morning training in order to prepare these prosecutors to handle cases of sexual assault um, or allegations of sexual assault. For example, um, how um, alleged victims going to be asked to tell their stories in such a way that does not re-traumatize them? Mm. Um, what role might counselors play in facilitating the process of, you know, of initiating an investigation um, so as not to cause additional harm? Um, those kinds of things, those kinds of details need to be fleshed out in order for at least me to believe that these specially trained prosecutors are indeed specially trained. And that brings up the question of uh, training and uh, sensitivity training. That, uh, <laughs> that term uh, sparks a lot of negative reactions, sensitivity training, because that requires recognizing that there's a problem. And it seems like a lot of people, at least in politics, resist that. They don't want to recognize there's a problem, like when it comes to uh, uh, racial and gender uh, sensitivity. They don't want to recognize that. There's a lot of resistance to that. What is the, uh, is there open resistance to the military justice reform bill? And what are they saying? <laughs> and I think there's long been open resistance um, within the military and within the Pentagon to argue that um, that, that doing so, that reforming military justice would strip commanders of their authority and undermine their ability to, to rule over their subordinates. I'm not questioning uh, that that's important, but when it comes to matters of ethical and humane conduct yeah. um, during wartime, I, I don't think that they should have total power. Total power, yeah. We we have a democracy here, at least outside of the military. And I do like the fact that uh, President Biden has said that uh, that our troops in the field have to understand that, you know, we're fighting for a democracy, for a democratic system here, and that that's what the value is that, that makes it worth fighting for. And that's quite a bit different from his predecessor, no question. For those who may just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. The show is Keeping Democracy Alive. Our guest today is uh, Andrea Mazzarino, who has written an essay about what's been called a pandemic of sexual assault in the military. Her essay is titled Changing the Way the Military Handles Sexual Assault or How Not to Leave the Fox Guarding the Hen House. Could it be that the uh, Gwilen case may be a, a sufficient driving catalyst for the Gillibrand Ernst bill, you know, sometimes, as we've seen, something's in the spotlight, but then, you know, people's attention span is pretty short, and and the attention goes away. I, I, I wonder if this might be the, the case, the murder might be a sufficient driving catalyst for the Gillibrand Ernst bill. Your thoughts? Um, I'm going to have to ask you to repeat that question again, Bert. Okay. I'm sorry. No, no problem. We're getting used to it today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can you hear me? Yes, All right. I can. Do you think the Gwilen case 
could be a sufficiently driving catalyst for the Gillibrand Ernst bill. I mean, given that Americans tend to have short attention spans and the media plays to that, you know, something can be hot in the news one day and then just not even exist, you know, within a few days. So many examples of that. So will will attention on that case fade, do you think? Or do you think it could be? I mean, it was so outrageous, just, uh, you know, in so many ways. Do you think that will be sufficient to pass this too timid bill, but at least it's something? Well, I think it will be sufficient to pass the bill as long as the public continues to raise an outcry over the case. Um, I think that it's not just up to the it's not just up to congress it's not just up to lloyd austin it's not just up to anybody in particular i think that the public as a whole needs to care about um about, about cases like gillens and to continue to raise an outcry but yeah that's that's a problem when the media has such a short attention span right. and americans have such a short attention span yeah it's true and what's in now you know at the Let's face it, uh, elected people do what is in their interest to get reelected. And obviously, Ted Cruz seems to feel like this will help him out. So he's uh, jumped on the bandwagon. Y- your husband is an officer, I believe. You you express concern, quote, that a group of men, my husband and other commanding officers with assumedly zero knowledge about sexual assault, could be placed in charge of hearing a case on the possible rape of a child. And you note that male commanders without training are put in the position of treating the survivors of sexual assault. Say more about that, please. Well, I mean, my husband is a sensitive man. Um, We agree on most things politically, but he's not trained to deal with sexual assault cases. I mean, few people are. Um, And the the idea that he and a a group of other officers and enlisted service members would be asked to hear um, a report uh, of sexual assault. Um, In this case, I mean, the example I used in my essay was of a a child Um, and and make a decision as to whether or not it should be brought forward to a court-martial is is ludicrous. I mean, the only people who should be doing that are are specially trained experts on the issue. And as you said, even the civilian justice system isn't adequately prepared to handle cases of sexual assault, but certainly not a group of men uh, within a military command that has its own endemic issues um, handling um, sexist conduct. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's pretty pretty clear. I mean, you look at uh, a large percentage of men out on the streets and in the civilian world and then the military as well and you say within the military violence is the first thing you notice wow what do you mean by that and is that well known among the women who sign up where do i begin i mean the the minute you enter a base um you see examples of violence everywhere you know, missiles, real missiles that have re- been repurposed as monuments or even benches to sit on on the sides of roads, um, idioms used by soldiers, sailors to describe um, 
how they've disciplined um, their colleagues. You know, ripping another asshole is an example of, of a phrase that's used um, when somebody is talking about um, just yelling at somebody who's, who's, who's acted incompetently. Um, common knowledge among new female recruits that rape and sexual harassment are greater risks than being attacked by the enemy. Mm. I mean, the culture among soldiers and, and prospective soldiers is, is such that people assume um, that sexual violence and, and violence in general is, is, is what the military is about. And, you know, that's no surprise, right. but it, it contradicts, you know, sort of patriotic rhetoric on holidays, Memorial Day, that the military is about protection and safety. It's not. It's about, it's about destroying the enemy. And the problem is that within military culture, there's very little distinction made between um, when it is appropriate to use violence and, and when you are abusing your power, because it's a fine line. That's an interesting point. So it's it's talking about that. I mean, you know, military force is violence, no question about it. So when to appropriately use that and when not to, boy, that's coming up now. And uh, you know, it's like uh, the murder of George Floyd unleashed a whole bunch of other things that we hadn't looked at. It sounds like this particular murder, the Gwilen case, uh, may be doing that as well. And you say that you, quote, shudder to think about an answer to this question. If it took the death of a young woman who reported sexual harassment to launch such a relatively timid bill, what will it take to move the judging of violent crimes entirely off military bases into the court system? Well, you shudder to think about that. I'll ask you anyway. Well, I shudder to think about that because the murder of Vanessa Gillen was so gruesome and occurred after she had made efforts, um, the expected efforts to raise the issue within her command that I don't know uh, what else would need to happen in order to spark enough public outrage for radical reform to occur. So you think there can be an effective military and radical reform of these sexual assault and violent crimes issues? I, th I think there can. I don't think fairly and, and, and thoroughly investigating allegations of sexual assault and having an effective military are uh, opposing projects. <laughs> I would hope not. Well, what can listeners do? We are not powerless. You know, it's, it's many people in power want us to believe we're powerless, but what can we do uh, on the Gillibrand Ernst bill? And in general, do you think, what are your, what are your suggestions and how optimistic might you be? A couple of questions. I mean, I'm optimistic uh, when it comes to transgender issues, for example, 10 years ago, the general public wasn't really talking about the existence of transgender people in our society. And now you know, it's pretty accepted that these, this is a part of our military and they're, they're equal human beings and equally competent to serve. Um, I think that 
whereas for men uh, that we deal with military sexual assault and other you know crimes within the general civilian justice system it might be thinkable in you know five to ten years but i think that it's up to more than the military it's up to more than the pentagon and it's up to more than just ordinary people um, need to care about what happens on our bases and in our combat among our combat troops abroad and we need to be writing to our representatives and our senators and urging them to push this further is there a number on the bill sometimes that helps i don't i don't know what it is do you is there a, a number on the bill yeah like sb something or other oh gosh I, that's I, okay i think yeah, I don't know right now. That's all right. Well, thank you so much. And, uh, you know, again, we are not powerless. We can, we, the people, can do something about this. You've shed a lot of light into an area that hasn't been looked at very much. Very important. Uh, and you write regularly for uh, Tom Dispatch. Any other places people can uh, see your important work? Thank you. Well, um, that's primarily where I'm writing right now. I mm -hmm. post on Twitter, um, Nazarino underscore A. Um, but uh, thank you for your, your interest in this issue, and I encourage all uh, Americans to pay attention to it. Thank you so much. Upstairs room in black boot by the side of a northern sea. The army had my father, and my mother was having me. Military madness is killing my country. Solitary sadness comes over. I found a different country, but I never lost my pride. Military madness is killing my country. Solitary sadness comes over.